Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Skids Up, RC Heli Podcast. Uh, tonight, we have a very special guest with us tonight. Um, we are talking with John Salt, who is the founder and operator of... What's the, what's the name of the website for those of us, uh, for those of the uh, uninitiated, John? Um, RC rchelicopterfund.com. All right. So John has been the owner and proprietor of this website for as long as I've been in the hobby. And um, I think I speak for quite a few people um, that are on this call, as well as a number of people that are listening that um, we can thank John tremendously for getting us in and keeping us in the hobby. So I'm looking very much forward to talking with him tonight um, about how he started all this, how we got started uh, in the hobby. And because I know he's been in it for quite some time now. We're going to go through um, some of his tips and tricks on uh, setting up and selecting a first kit. So that being said, um, we'll go ahead and get into our um, weekly updates. It's, uh, it's been a while since we've had an update section. Um, the last episode was a bit of an oddball. So um, Javier, why don't you go ahead and get us started with uh, what you've been up to? Okay, so um, as as you guys know, I'm still on the. It feels like I haven't I haven't watched it, but I've heard a lot about Game of Thrones that there's like a multi-year winter or something like that. You know, it kind of feels like that here. Uh, it feels like it's never gonna end. Uh, it's it's frustrating. Um, I see people that are starting to post that they're starting to fly, kind of like the, um, the mid to south United States. And it's pretty frustrating because I'm still, you know, the, the car was saying, I think was 14 right before I joined this call. So, um, so it's really frustrating to still not being able to fly, but I have been using the time hopefully wisely. Uh, there, there's a, a good friend on Helifreak, uh, Ben, that uh, pointed me towards a video that I had not personally seen, which is a video by Matt Bodos. The, he calls it the Borientation. And it's funny because I thought it was you know, a play on, on the words of Bodo's, Bodo's orientation, but no, it's actually boring orientation. So um, the idea the idea that he puts out is um, designed to be kind of like a warm-up. So get to the field and on your first pack, you uh, do this uh, kind of like orientation training, uh, a sort of like a warm-up, and then uh, you go in and fly. You know, he kind of envisioned it like that. However, um, I saw that idea and because of my hibernation period, I took the opportunity to actually take it to the sim because that's, you know, what I've been doing uh, during, uh, during winter. So what, uh, what I ended up doing was kind of like tweaking that and expanding it a little bit to make a full uh, training simulator routine. That's the one that I've been practicing on on the simulator. And hopefully that'll help me, uh, you know, with the muscle memory. It's it's really, really challenging. I really enjoyed it. I was able to complete the challenge on three different sims. I did it on Accuracy, on HeliX, and on, Acu- on, and on Next. The idea is basically you go first, you hover a, fir- uh, uh, a few seconds on each of the four basic orientations upright. Then you start doing figure eights upright. Uh, you do them first on one, um, say, to the first starting to the left, then it's starting to the right. So kind of like the two clockwise and clockwise directions. Then you go and you do the same thing. I'm doing, you know, two, two figure eights that way. Then I swap to um, tail first uh, upright for uh, also two, uh, two figure eights of each uh, clockwise and counterclockwise. Then I flip to invert it. 
and I uh, do the same thing. I keep five seconds on each of the four basic orientations. Then I go two figure eights um, inverted forward, uh, then two counterclockwise counter or clockwise, depending on which one you started off first. Then I flip to uh, tail first inverted, and I do the same thing. Uh, then I go down and uh, start doing like about 10 seconds of uh, clockwise or counterclockwise, whichever you want. The, the idea is to, you know, actually uh, train on both uh, clockwise and counterclockwise. doesn't matter which one you start. So start doing piro hover on, on the same spot, about 10 seconds. Then start do a traveling the helicopter to the left while still pirouing. Then return past the center and go all the way to the right, still pirouing, then return and then change to the other tail direction. All that takes between 10 to 15 minutes. So that's, uh, that's a while. That's a while to fly. Uh, depending on the simulator you are, it may take you uh, a few flights to do it uh, because some of them have a battery simulation. You can also tweak that if you want and you know, make it infinite. But if you want to fly like that, you can also do it on like uh, multiple, multiple packs, so to speak, on the sim. And uh, it's very, very challenging. It took me a while to try to complete it uh, because it's very mentally draining to, you know, be focused for that amount of time, um, you know, solely on training because, yes, it is, it, it is boring. You know, for me, it, it, was, it was very challenging. So it was worth, it was not as boring because it, it's very challenging. It's boring. You know, to keep doing the same thing over and over again every single time you sit down and fire up the sim. But when you're on it, you know, it's actually a very good challenge to try to complete it. So I was very happy that I was able to do it. It's now nowhere near where I want it to be, of course. You know, it's uh, all over the place. But, you know, I was able to make it. So that's what I'm going to continue on doing. And hopefully, I'm uh, uh, right now, even my toes are crossed. Hopefully, my uh, orientations will improve come uh, next season because all I want is to stop crashing. <laughs> I don't want to be the next Cal uh, uh, Dahl, Cal Stacy, because I know I'll never be there. Uh, I just want to stop crashing, basically. So that's, uh, that's the goal. So, um, so my friends, I, uh, I invite you, or uh, might I say challenge you, to, uh, to perform the same, the same uh, training. Uh, you can record it and uh, upload it to YouTube uh, on your sim of choice. And um, and try to perform it. It doesn't need to be your um, you know your training routine from now on, so to speak. It's just kind of like a challenge to try to uh, to try to complete it. Can I can I upload it to your YouTube channel since I don't actually have one? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so you can. No, actually, I've actually been doing something very similar for the last um, last couple of years, but based off of that uh, Heli Freak, I think it was a Heli Freak post, the tail end hover to funnels and six month post. Yes. So I've been using something similar to that, but then um, I think I came across that video that you're talking about maybe a year ago and have, have tried to work some things into my routine. Uh, what, I, what I found is, is very similar to the approach that I take when I'm you know, playing guitar. I can just sit at my guitar and just play on stuff and, and not really progress as... Um, not really progress my skill at the instrument. Um, or I can do something that might be considered boring, like practice my scales or practice new, you know, routines, which aren't exactly a terrible amount of fun, but you know, over time they progress my skill at the instrument. Same thing with these, 
um, with these training routines, a lot of times I just really like to fly around and try to do, you know, things beyond my skill level in the sim, but I'm not really progressing when I'm doing that. Um, I feel like it's much better time spent in the sim when you do something like the, you know, the boring routine, um, and you actually drill those basics into your, um, into your head. So I will take you up on that, um, Javier, and I will, I've actually already tried and I've, uh, we won't discuss the results at the moment, but awesome. <laughs> I need to practice a little bit more. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. That's cool. Uh, what about you, Frank? You, uh, you on? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Uh, how's it going guys? So my last couple of weeks have been, have been rough. Uh, no, actually last week, I didn't fly this weekend. It was really windy and rainy. I didn't wrench on anything. Um, actually I've been other than getting parts for a few of my, a uh, few of the clients here in Miami. I haven't been doing anything heavily related. That's pretty much it. Um, looking forward to next weekend, I'm going up to Orlando to go fly with the guys from Torches for a little bit, you know, get to hang out with uh, a lot of the team SAP guys, you know, and uh, just fly a lot. So I'm looking forward to that. Nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's kind of look, looking forward. Um, a lot of great, uh, as far as some of the stuff that's, going, that's been going down uh, with the hangout is kind of my way to bring it in without making an own uh, segment. Uh, a lot of, discussion about the FAA and what's how the effect on it uh, today. Uh, I know it's a little early and I should be doing it over the end, but uh, BK's podcast that came out today, it was actually really, really good. Just so everybody hears it. So go listen to that one as well. All right. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah. It, it was just released today, you said? Yeah, it was released today. Yeah. Okay. Do you have, um, kind of changing subject a little bit, have you finalized travel plans for Cajun? Are you still going to be able to make that one? I'm still I'm still working figuring out if I can make that one because the problem with that one is it shows it's the same weekend as the one at Torches. Oh, uh, okay. And that that one I I can't skip I can't miss out a local local to me fun fly you know that's just the one I go to every year. But I do have the time off and I'm just kind of on a tangent. I do have the time off for uh, Urcha, so I'm definitely will be attending Urcha. Cool. Yes, I will be there as well. Still trying to go. Still trying to go to uh, to Cajun, but um, apparently I might be going on on my lonesome. So, <laughs> well, you'll have Scott there. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. So, um, Frank, was that it for you? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I have nothing yeah. much. Yeah, so for for me, you know, not really much since the last update. Um, I think I mentioned beforehand that I uh, erect my Gowie. I still have yet to even look at it. I'm just kind of disgusted with it. It's sitting in the garage in a box. I'm not disgusted with it. I'm just disgusted with myself, really. So that one is uh, is pretty well destroyed, and I'll have to go through it and see if anything's salvageable. Um, at the moment, it looks like you know, it looks like the electronics kind of made it through okay. Um, one of the servos appears to be fine. The other two chatter. So I'm not sure if this will be a regear or just a reservo. At this point, I've I've um, I've kind of stopped replacing uh, or replacing gears on, on broken servos for some of the smaller ones, um, that, you know, are not terribly expensive because my, I mean, I, I feel that my time is worth more than the amount of money it's going to save me changing out those gear sets. Now on the larger ones, that's, that's probably not the case, but for a 450 size servo, I'll probably just buy another one. <laughs> um, so that one's going to keep me busy, uh, for a bit. I've still got a, uh, several more that are in flying condition. I got uh, contacted by uh, by Wes, which was kind of cool. He was in Dallas for training, and um, he went flying this past Sunday. Unfortunately, I had to watch the kids while my wife worked, so I wasn't able to go join him. But it's pretty cool that he's able to um, travel with his helis, and I believe he went out and flew uh, this weekend. So it was kind of neat. But other than that, that's really it for me. The weather has started to inch closer to being, you know, 
full on flying season over here. Uh, it's been rainy more than anything, which has kind of kept me from really doing a whole lot, but, uh, that usually starts to taper off here and, you know, in March or so. So many, many weekends of flying are just on the horizon for me. Unfortunately for Javier, he's got another like six or seven years <laughs> yeah. to deal with. Well, actually, that's the thing of. is you never know how long winter's going to last. It could be one year. It could be 10 years. You don't know. I know. I know. <laughs> All my stuff is going to get rusty before I can fly it. Or worse, outdated. Or, or worse, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to even turn on. My batteries are going to be dead and, you know, the, 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 the gears are going to be all, all destroyed. You know, I'm going to start turning it and it's going to turn to dust. <laughs> I think that does it for, um, for updates from us. But, um, John, the way we typically do this is, you know, we'll just kind of ask you a few questions, get to know you a little bit better. Um, like to hear about your journey in the hobby. Um, if you'd like to tell us an update of what you've been up to, although we don't have a whole lot of context of what you've been up to before that, um, we'd love to hear it. If you have anything cool that you've been working on, or if you just want to blend that into your store story, it's, um, it's kind of up to you, but we did want to ask you a few questions and, you know, besides that about just, you know, how you got into the hobby. Um, and really just, I mean, every, Everyone knows all of the the wonderful resources that you've provided, and we'd love to hear some some backstory on on that kind of yep, stuff. Fair enough, but really, floor is yours. Yep. Okay. Uh, well, as far as uh, what I've been up to, uh, like Javier, it's uh, we're in the Great White North up here in BC, Canada, and not I can't get out to the field because there's just too much snow. So I just uh, I've been flying the little stuff mostly in the yard, and that's. Uh, that's about as much flying as I've got to do uh, recently and a little bit of time on the sim, but um, I, I seem to like flying the uh, the little micros a little bit better than the sim time now. Of course, I'm not into the uh, hardcore 3D stuff. Uh, now, how I got... What is your, uh, what's your favorite, what's your favorite micro? Right now, I, I got one of those little um, OMP Hobby M2s in December. I don't know if you've heard about them. Yeah, yeah, I've seen them. Yeah, it's a direct drive motor. It's like the uh, Goblin, uh, what, the Mini Comet? Kind of same idea. Uh, only, it, only it does have a brushless tail. But, but it is, uh, it's a great little performer. And I've really been having a lot of fun with it. So that's, that's the one I'm what, flying uh, mostly what right now in the winter here. What, what size is that guy? It's, is uh, it... If you go by blade length, it's a 180. Okay. So it's like an Oxy-2. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty much identical, other than it is a tail, uh, it's a brushless tail motor. And yeah, I, I was a little leery about that, but geez, it, it performs. You can tell on the acceleration, it's it's a little sluggish, but, um, you know, overall tail hold is amazing and and zero maintenance. Yeah, I've noticed that the, the, the performance of those tail motors is just improved so much. And I mean, I've been flying them for about five years now. Um, I think the first direct or the first powered tail motor I had was the the original MCPX, and that thing was just horrid. Yeah. Um, it was it was great until I tried to flip it upside down, and then it just decided it didn't want to do that. Um, but I've got a 150 now from Blade that is that holds really really well. I mean, I'm very surprised it it makes a ton of noise, but it it holds pretty well. Yeah, they are noisy. Aren't um, they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. So um, didn't mean to interrupt you there, but yeah. So uh, you. Do you live in a place where um, that's I guess is it sparsely populated? Is it uh, is it pretty dense? No, you, you it's have very a rural. Size uh, yeah, to, we we used to okay. live in Edmonton, Alberta. I'm not sure if anyone knows where that is. And uh, yeah, we moved out here about uh, oh 15 years ago now. Little just outside of a little town called Bellmount, 
we're uh, just west of Jasper National Park, if anyone knows where that is. So we're in the Rocky Mountains. You know, it was always my wife and uh, my dream to move to the mountains at one stage in our life, one point in our life. So we did that, and yeah, it kind of necessitated uh, looking at other sources of income, and that's kind of how the website came to be. I never, I never planned on the heli site being uh, a source of income. It was kind of a test site. Uh, I was going to build it for uh, my business at the time, but as it turned out, the heli site, well, literally took off. And oh, that's interesting. You know, I don't know if we've talked to too many people that um, have been able to actually earn a substantial income off of off of this hobby outside of being a, a dealer. Yeah. You know? Well, it, 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 you know, I think everyone knows helis. They peaked probably between 2011 and 2013, at least that's what I've noticed on my site. And, you know, it was making it, you know, between ads and, you know, the, the, the few eBooks I sold and affiliate uh, sales. Yeah, it was, it was doing okay. You know, my wife works too. I, I wouldn't say it was a one person income for sure, but yeah, yeah, it worked out uh, not too bad. You know, things are slower now. I'm, I'm doing other stuff on the side. The site certainly isn't performing like it once did. You know, the main the main point of the site right from the beginning was just to help introduce others to the hobby because uh, there was a lot of noise at the time, not all of it good. Well, and I will say that, um, and I think I speak for everyone everyone here, that when we were both, when we were all starting this hobby, your, I mean, your website was was literally like the Bible for as far as I was yeah. concerned about about what I needed to know. Uh, with like you said, you know, there was so much noise uh, related to all this different stuff that th- your website was a one stop shop for, I mean, literally everything. You have electronics, head setups, you know, tuning, fly barless. I mean, everything. It clearly explained for the layman, but not you know, not patronizingly to those who actually knew what was going on. Yeah, I, I mean, I, can't, I could go on and on and on, but. <laughs> Um, so why don't you why don't you tell us a bit? Let's back up a bit before you got to the started on the site, and um, you know how long I noticed I noticed that you posted a video recently um, that had a a catalog. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, from many many years ago. Yeah, and that was that was in actually really good condition. So how, how long have you been? Doing I this? I started well my my venture into RC uh, started with planes, and that was in about 1984. So I, I got into it in my mid teens because of politics at the flying club and whatnot. Didn't really enjoy that aspect of it too much, um, especially as a junior member. And saw uh, one fellow brought a helicopter out once. It was probably in 1986 or so. And I was just in awe of this thing. And I just immediately saw the opportunity that you could take this thing basically anywhere and fly it. So after flying planes for a few more years, I got my first helicopter in 1989. It was an XL40 by miniature aircraft, mounted uh, training gear on it, self, self-taught self myself on it. You know, for the first few times out, yeah, it's scary. Uh, I just kept it on the ground, uh, just kind of bobbing it and moving it around. But uh, that first day when it popped up in the air and I actually was able to hold a somewhat controlled hover for, I don't know, 10, 20 seconds, the, the uh, euphoria hit. And that was it. And uh, haven't looked back since. You know, I've taken a hiatus from the hobby several times because of life's <laughs> um, interruptions, but uh, always come back to it. There's there's always something there for it for me, and I can't 
can't imagine any other hobby that you can lose yourself into on so many levels. When you're flying, everything disappears, as I, I believe Frank was saying when we were talking before we started. Um, you know, it's so immersive in that respect. And I enjoy the maintenance aspect and the building aspect just as much as the flying aspect, maybe even a little bit more now. So it, it, the hobby has given me so much. It's, uh, you know, in, in, in many ways, it's given my life direction at, you know, a couple of times in my life, I needed that direction. I kind of started the site to maybe give it a little bit of that back. Yeah. So how, how long had you actually been um, involved in the hobby before you? So I started, in, I, I started then, flying in 89. So it's been 31 years now. Well, and the site, the site was started in oh, the, the, the website. The sorry, 2000s, sorry. Or? The website is it, yeah. actually almost 11 years to the day. So it was uh, okay. night. So you'd been around for you'd been around for for a while before you started to to give all this back. Did you did you have a lot of material that had been compiled just I guess for your own knowledge that you then started to translate into these articles? Not, not um, so much. It was basically just just in my head. I had instructed for a while when we lived in the city, so you know I, I did have that background. You know, so I, I knew where beginners were coming from. I knew the questions. Now this was all before Flybarless, of course which <laughs> opened up a whole new level of complexity before, you know, just with fly bars. I don't know if any of you started in the fly bar era or if you all started afterwards, but there was none of this uh, programming or anything. You know, you built the helicopter and you basically went out and flew it. You know, the, the biggest problem then was tuning your, tuning your engine. My first, yeah, my first two helicopters were flybard, but they were flybard electrics. So okay. it was the um, the Blade 450 3D, and then a, a T Rex yeah. 450 yeah. V1, I think. Yeah. So I'm certainly not saying flybars are better. Uh, flybarless just feels amazing, but um, from a beginner's standpoint, easier, easier to understand. I think anyways, and, uh, you know, I, I have, I haven't been instructing per se at a, at a club since we moved here and since Flybarless has taken off. Well, I like how you said that, you know, you can lose yourself in different layers of this hobby and it's, and it's so true. The guests that we've had on this show have, have all brought their own, you know, their own unique perspectives of the hobby, but everything from like from one of our more recent episodes of, you know, simulation and computer engineering of flight dynamics uh, to the people that um, love the social aspect of the hobby and then organize all of these amazing events. Um, and then from your take on just, you you're just a wealth of knowledge of like the technical minutia. Uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating. You know, um, we had, we had one guy on here that was um, talking about how he uh, figured the RC hobby was a really good hobby to get his children into uh, just because of all the different life things it can teach you. I mean, you can learn so much about so many different things from this hobby, which is, which is fascinating. That's why I love talking to, you know, uh, talking to all these different people that have different perspectives because I enjoy one aspect of it, um, but might not know as much about as much about something else, which is something that you could equally go into a complete deep dive on. Yeah. We all, we all have different strengths and weaknesses and what, uh, floats our boat and what doesn't so and it seems this hobby it it goes in so many directions right well so you know i guess gearing towards the things that you find the most interesting i noticed that you've had some articles on uh, turbine you know turbine helicopters which isn't something that you see a whole lot of people doing 
these days. Yeah. Are are you still very in, are you still interested in that? Um, it's still, still my favorite helicopter. Uh, fly turbines or okay. <laughs> yeah, I've got the one, and it's still every time I fire fire it up. Yeah, it just puts a huge grin on my face. You know, I my I, I guess the reason I got into helicopters too is I was fascinated with full size. I always have been, and yeah, getting that turbine, it was. Uh, there's so many. It, it's not so much the flying because I'm I'm a little bit scared the whole time it's up there. It's a rather large investment, but you know it's uh, seeing the heat waves, smelling the jet a burning. It's it, it's a whole nother a whole nother um, just stimulates a whole nother uh, level of senses that uh, you know that I haven't got with the electrics, but. And and the sound, of course, is amazing. But it's it's certainly it's certainly not an aerobatic machine. It's it's a heavy beast. Uh, you know, the thing's pushing over twenty two pounds when it's fully fueled. The thing they don't put out huge huge amounts of power. You know, I, I think a I think a seven hundred electric, um, if you do the math on it, actually will put out more horsepower than this big turbine engine will. But it, it's just. 22 pounds. It's, that's crazy to me. Yeah. Being that heavy, uh, you know, still being able to fly. Um, is it a 700 size or is it bigger? It's an 810. Wow. So it's... Uh, Interesting. Yeah. And, it, you know, I've got an 800, a T-Rex 800. So two very similar size machines and they're night and day. You know, the, the T-Rex 800, even though it's, it's fairly heavy, but it's, you know, it's still half the weight. Yeah. yeah, I guess when you get to that, um, when you get to that level of, of flight, it's, um, I mean, it almost becomes a completely different hobby in a sense, you know, like at that point you're, you're simulating, you're trying to, you're, you're simulating full scale aircraft. Yeah, there's a few, I guess there's a few, like, yeah, you have to think ahead, you know, you can't just make a turn down wind if you've got a strong tailwind and expect, you know, you can get caught in vortex ring and come down pretty quick if you don't have enough altitude you know i've almost been caught several times but now i know <laughs> when you're coming down wind you, know, you better get ready to jam on that collective so if i if i if i may ask you um what is the setup like that usually uh not what do you how do you usually set up the pitch how much uh pitch do you get on do you have on that? on that run i'm, I'm you know, running kind of... plus minus 12. Oh, interesting. So the same amount. Uh, I don't. I don't fly hard though, so I'm probably never going much over plus eight. But yeah, if I ever needed to okay. auto it, yeah, you definitely need that plus twelve. You know, when you're flaring. And how? What do you usually? How many hours do you get on your tur- on your turbine before you have to get it? You have to service it. If you don't mind me asking. Um, I actually had over what they recommended. I think it was 125 when I did my first service on it. And I've only done the one service. Now, I don't fly it that often. Cool. I, I might take it out. You know, in the season, it might go, it might have 20 flights on it. And well, the reason why I ask is I, well, the reason why I ask is I got I, the club that I fly at. It's I live here in South Florida. And it's a huge, uh, one of the biggest jet clubs in all South Florida for jet planes. Yeah. So I'm always kind of picking those guys' brains because they're like, "Oh, you're gonna come join the the jet fab." I'm like, "Ah, it's okay. I'll keep stick. I'll keep flying my uh, egg beaters, and you know, you guys do your thing." <laughs> I mean, there's always been something fascinating to me about you know a miniaturized jet engine. Like that is just the coolest thing. But it's there's it seems to me that there's such a and maybe I'm. 
overthinking it, but it, it seems to me that there's a bit of a, uh, you know, I wouldn't say learning curve. It's more like a learning cliff. How, how do you get into turbines? Like what is the, what is the, the entry point for switching from, I guess you'd have to have a, a pretty solid knowledge with, um, with traditional fuel powered, powered helicopters before you make that jump. Uh, is that, is that right? Uh, actually it's quite easy. <laughs> It's, it's really? more like electric. Is it just the, is it just the money? Is it just the money then? It's more like electric. <laughs> it 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 really is. It's uh, it's ultra smooth. Uh, there's no reciprocating mass like you get in a in a nitro engine. There's no tuning hassles. It's all done by the FADEC. You know, from from the time you tell the thing to start, it starts up, it warms up, comes up to idle. Once it's sustained RPM, then it'll just react like an electric motor. It, it, uh, yeah, there's really not much to it. You know, there's safety precautions. You have to bring a, you know, CO2 fire extinguisher with you. You know, you have to be a little bit cognizant about what you're flying over. Uh, you know, I won't take it out, you know, if we've had a dry spell because the field I fly at is, you know, it's got tall grasses. And if that thing went down, well, there'd be a grass fire then. So that kind of stuff you have to think about, but yeah, as far really, it, it's not much different than electric. If you can fly a big electric, you could fly a turbine. Okay. So there you go. <laughs> but, but you're not going to be smack. You're not going to be smacking it three inches off the deck. I don't think uh, <laughs> they don't. They don't have that kind of performance. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. Well, I've seen um, this video of um of an of a turbine um airwolf helicopter i think it's a roman 800 or something that they modified it to even have like um like firecrackers uh, as if uh, as if it was yeah. uh, you know shooting missiles i've seen that one that, that was pretty cool you know and they 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 flew it really yeah that that's that's amazing you know that that thing that thing would be one fuel thing you know one fuel helicopter that i would like but that's, you know, as you say, that's completely different. As I envision that is, you know, flying at scale, uh, that, that flight was amazing. You know, they, it, it really looked like you were seeing, you know, shots from the from TV series. I mean, it was it was amazing. So that that I would enjoy. I mean, to uh, to fly like that and to, you know, see it just really scale. And there's just two helicopters that I would love to have, you know, like that in turbine, you know, full 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 scale and you know very uh very well built and all that um the airwolf and the and the uh, blue thunder you know those are two helicopters that i would absolutely love to own um but yeah uh that that's 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 another level that's another level you know as, as you said um it's basically just a whole different hobby yeah well it's i guess it's what you're into like i know i i can't fly that thing hard but i'm not a hard flyer uh, you know, I'm, it sounds like all you guys could outfly me with your eyes closed, you know, and that's when I got into the hobby, we just didn't have aircraft that were powerful enough. <laughs> we were still swinging wood blades, you know, some of the stuff that even I can do now and I'm not good at aerobatics, you know, I'd snap the blades if I tried it. Uh, and we just didn't have the power either. So I never really learned to do aerobatics. And it was only once I got into the higher powered electrics here, you know, in the last decade that that part of the hobby has even been made available to me. And, you know, I'm, you know, I can blame my age, but Hey, that's what I'm going to go with. <laughs> that's fine. I don't, I, I don't, I don't blame you. I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I don't think I could apply you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm still learning how to not to crash. <laughs> yeah. But you're trying. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, my, my skids are usually pointing towards the ground. <laughs> you know, when I heard, when I heard you have your talking about those exercises, you know, you, you lost me as soon as you went into the inverted stuff. <laughs> you know, I, that's, I, I, yeah, sim or it wouldn't matter. Uh, it's going to be the reset button. <laughs> Yeah, that that happens to me quite a bit. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 hard, and uh, unfortunately, a few of the real ones have met that fate as well. Yeah, that's when it stings. It's, it's <laughs> what it is. Well, so considering you know how long you've been involved in the hobby, and I guess all of the different technological advancements that have come with the last thirty years, how do you feel about the future? of the hobby where it's headed. Um, and then I guess we could, you know, go into it, it would no, no discussion about the future would be complete without a dip into government regulations. So, um, we are curious about what kind of things might hamper the progression of the hobby in, in Canada that might be different from what the U S is going through. But like, how do you see the, maybe the next five or 10 years of the hobby playing out? Uh, no, it's a good question, isn't it? Um, I don't think there's going to be any more big technical revolutions that we saw in the uh, mid 2000s. You know, we were hit with so many different technologies. Uh, we got, we had electric, brushless, fly barless, micros. You know, everything was coming at us at once. So I, I don't see that that level of innovation happening. Uh, you know, it, I, I don't. I don't see any innovation as far as materials go. I would like to see battery technology. Obviously, I think we all would like to see battery technology get better, not just in uh, in capacity, but in longevity and in robustness. Um, I think that's one thing that are. I hear that a lot. Uh, at least people who comment on my site, who email me. You know, battery problems seem to be one of the biggest issues. So I'd like to see battery technology uh, improve a little bit better. I, I would, as a scale person, I'd kind of like to see a little more scale come in on board. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. It's been dwindling and maybe it isn't ever going to come back. It's a little bit disappointing that so many of the big names that I grew up with are gone. Um, but that's just part of the market now. That's just not in helicopters. That's everything. And then, of course, we have regulations, which, yeah, they scare me. They're, they're draconian. They're filled with logical fallacies. Nothing supports the regulations. I don't know. Um, For those of us that are, um, you know, in the U.S. might be unfamiliar with, I guess, either proposals to legislation or currently enacted legislation. Uh, what kind of things are you are you talking about? Um, well, right now, I think the FAA, uh, where you guys are at now, the way I understand it now, again, I don't live down there. I haven't been keeping 100% up to speed what is in place for you folks right now. But I thought the FAA originally did it not too bad, certainly better than what we had up here when our first wave of regulations came into effect. Of course, now with this proposed transponder nonsense, yeah. <laughs> do you do you find that legislation in Canada um, follows the lead of legislation in the United Very States? Not just in Canada. I think if you look worldwide, seems F, everyone follows the FAA. What the FAA does, others will, will follow. So that's that's why I was so scared when the FAA did it, because, you know, no one else had really done it up to that point. And I so once I knew once I knew that happened, when was that back in was it 2016 or 15 when your first wave of regulations came through? Yep, sometime around somewhere there. around there. 
And I knew then it was just a matter of a year or two before it would be implemented worldwide with everyone's own take take on it. And, you know, when I'm hearing rumblings of them even regulating indoor RC flight, well, you know, it's just a cash grab at that point. It's got nothing to do with safety. I haven't even, I've not heard that before. Yeah. That is a... Someplace in Europe. That's a new one for me. <laughs> I can't remember, but uh, oh, wow! And, I, and even in Canada, I I, uh, I am no fan of our transport minister. But um, if anything's going to happen like that, he'll come up with it. Well, so I'm I'm curious then about how that might affect you as someone that doesn't live very close to a populated yeah. area. I've always felt that if I owned some property outside the city and there was a draconian FAA rule in place, I just wouldn't care mainly because they would not find me. <laughs> exactly. But um, yeah, I'm, 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 I know obviously there's bigger things here. Like the, you know, the industry itself will suffer if, if the majority of its participants well, that's, can't that's obviously, participate. Yeah. You know, I, I, I look at it sometimes, you know, on a little bit of a selfish level as well that, you know, where I am now, no big deal. And uh, it's actually ironic. Uh, the one field where I fly is actually the back of the uh, heli base here in town. They, oh, they, okay. they love when I come so out that'll to be fly. A problem. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's completely, yeah. uh, you know, against uh, what Transport Canada is saying. But, you know, I've, I said, well, what's going on? Like, and they said, well, no one here is going to report you. <laughs> so that, that just shows you the level, right, of, of how ridiculous these regulations are for us anyways. You know, we're line of sight. We keep these things very close to us. Anyways, I lost my train of thought. What What was the question? What was the, oh no, it, it was really just it was really just your um, yeah. Oh yeah, are, as far as rules, we are yeah, curious about the countries you're experiencing sure. the same nonsense we are. Uh, so here in Canada, and I'm sure it's down in the states. Basically, a lot of us are going to be flying under the radar illegally. And really, is anyone going to report us? No. I can't see it happening. You know, maybe I shouldn't be saying this, and you can certainly edit this out, but I think if more of us... Um, got a rebel here, people. <laughs> if, if more of us did not sign on to these things, uh, there, there wouldn't... They'd, they'd fail, or they'd have to rethink them. You know, as far as I'm concerned, the more people that register, the more it's going to justify having these programs. And when you give these people... when uh, up here anyways, it seems when you give her the government an inch, they're going to take a mile. You know, the what seems like an okay regulation today will then become even more outrageous next year. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, ne it's just never keep, the regulation that's currently the in place. It's the one that's coming after it. Yeah. And uh, even with flying clubs, like now if you go to a Mac club, no big deal, you're covered. But as Mac clubs, I don't know if it's the same down there, but... They keep, you know, you lose your club because the land lease is up or it's too costly. So then you have to secure a new area to fly in. And now maybe you won't be able to get um, grandfathered for whatever the restrictions are at the time. So that's my in the, biggest worry. In the U.S., there, there's, no, there's no maybe, actually. Once you, once you lose the club, you lose it for good. Yeah. And there's no provisions for adding new ones. Okay. Which is... A bit depressing, but um, again, you know, like like you mentioned, I think that there's a, a large number of people that if you just follow these simple common sense rules about not flying in a place that would get you in trouble, it's mm. not going to have any impact well, on your we, flying. We've done it. That doesn't make the regulation itself yeah. uh, something that's okay, but... No, 
but it may not it, it may not justify them keeping it going because if there's no money coming in anyways it's just a an idea but you know we've been we've been flying unregulated for six decades and yeah john that's a, that's my that's my whole argument too if we haven't been doing anything bad no it's like you punishing me for you know uh staying uh staying out of trouble i'm honest i mean honest because you know you got people who are not in the hobby who literally walk into a best buy and i put myself in the same boat because i did go into best buy and i bought a uh a drone because i wanted one so i can film myself flying yeah but you have people that walk in there that don't know what they're doing that don't go to a club that don't get any training and then they go and they, they want to record a plane flying so they get they get close to an airport and you know stuff goes wrong yeah I don't, I don't, I completely understand the FAA as far as what their concern is. My issue, my issue will always be that we, we all get long time as one. And that's not, that's not accurate. Exactly. You know, we fly line of sight. Mm-hmm. We fly line of sight. I, I, I don't know about you, John, but I don't fly anymore. I don't need to fly higher than 400 feet. I don't have to fly further than two or 300 feet away from me. You know, I'm pretty, I, I stay pretty close, you know. I can honestly fly on a, in a football field. If I sit in the center of the football field, I, don't, I wouldn't have to go any further than than the areas around me. You know, exactly. And uh, no. no, and as heli flyers, I think we're probably, yeah, you know, as a heli flyer, we we probably stay the closest of any RC aircraft planes. Mm-hmm. I, I know when I fly a plane, it goes probably twice as far as when I fly my helicopters, and then of course FPV, and you know, once you get out of line of sight. But like you were saying, Frank, absolutely why we're being lumped in with the same group. Don't agree with it at all. And that then it comes down to, well, are they just doing this to clear out that zero to 400 uh, foot area for commercial use? I think uh, I saw today on a, on actually, uh, not to name drop, but I got I got called out by by Burt Cameron. And he's like, hey, I saw what you posted on the FAA and it was Essentially, my, the first comment I made on it was the one from the AMA. Mm-hmm. It's like, you need to write your own. I'm like, what are you talking about? How did you know that I wrote this? I go, I found it. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, let me go do that. Let me do the right thing. But then I found a few PowerPoints there expressing on how how much money the FA is expected to earn from selling these um, these devices for people that are not in their machines, don't come with their own devices. like it. So a significant amount of money. Wow. And every everything I'm here I'm hearing is 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 to uh, make the work easier for the FAA. Uh, that's why they're using those uh, those sensors and uh, the phone and all these all these uh, all this new technology. But still, they're they're going to be earning significant amount of money. Right. To I think I think the um, the PDF I, I saw was like two hundred fifty million dollars over the next ten years. That's a significant chunk. Yeah, you know, from professional pilots as well as hobbyists, you know, yeah. and so it's just it's heartbreaking. Do you know how big these little things are supposed to be? Like, obviously, they they I, I have, fit on a. There'd be obviously a size limit to what they would fit in, right? So the way I'm kind of visualizing them, thinking that they're going to come out, and I can be completely totally wrong. You know, if you if you ever take apart your 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 smartphone or anything like that, I don't see them being any bigger than a, uh, uh, like a Wi-Fi sensor on your computer. You know, if, if you have a, if you have built-in Wi-Fi, you know, it's just, just a chip and a little board. I don't see it being any bigger than that. And it requiring to, that can 
tap into a local satellite, um, local uh, cellular network. Yeah. So, I don't see it be any bigger okay. than that. But if you if you think about it, you know, I own, I have uh, seven helicopters, right? And you, I got to buy each one of those for each each one of those helicopters. Plus, I have to pay a a monthly fee to be able to use those. So yeah, no, no, I know it racks up. Like I have, Ridiculous. I'm not trying. The money, the money is not the issue. It's what bothers me the most is the infringement of my privacy. You know, let's say I'm flying by myself and a guy gets a hold of the app. I was like, oh, they're flying a drone over there. You know, and they come and do something. You know, that's my that's one of my concerns too. Just impeding my on my own freedoms. Mm-hmm. You know, no one needs to know that I'm flying a helicopter if you don't belong to the club or you know you don't follow me on social networks. Yeah. No, it's um, yeah, it's scary. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, I guess that I guess that's the underlying thing that's going to really dictate where our hobby goes at this point. You know, and I, I get comments like emails from people like they want to start in it, but they're scared because they don't know what what's going to happen. So yeah, I don't know what to tell them. <laughs> you know, write write their congressperson. <laughs> know what good that does anymore you know we're such a tiny voice but up up here i know uh, most of us are flying unregistered and yeah and i mean i i will definitely continue to be in that crowd um i think my own judgment as far as what constitutes a safe environment for flying uh I'm, fingers crossed will be enough to keep me under the radar so to speak but yeah we can definitely commiserate with you seems that we both have well what uh what you guys do it will be coming up here so <laughs> oh, man. give it time when you put it that we'll way i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> well that was um i guess that was a bit of a depressing segue but it was my yeah, it was my doing yeah, I, I did ask oh, you well. i did ask you so uh <laughs> why don't we get on to the why don't we get on to the main topic thanks paul i know I'm thanks a, paul I'm a jerk <laughs> can't help it sometimes But for those who are not completely scared away by the last 10 minutes of conversation, what we wanted to talk with you tonight, I guess, in, in more detail, John, uh, John was, uh, I guess, maybe a, a summation of what you what you have, of the content that you have in the website. And that would be for those, those are people that are just beginning, you know, what do you look for in kits that come out? Um, I know you've flown an awful lot of models and um, you've put together some fantastic guides of, of how to set everything up, but we just wanted to kind of walk that walk through maybe an abbreviated version of that process with you. Uh, what do you look for in a new kit? And then what do you look for in the electronics? Um, what are some, some things that you, some things that you do when you're setting things up, that kind of stuff. Okay. So we're, we're talking about get kit, not your first heli. Yeah. Right? Not, not your first heli. And, and honestly, not even your second or third heli. Um, when you're, let's say in a, a moderately experienced position where you've, you know, you've, you've owned a yeah. couple of helicopters, okay. maybe okay. you've built a, you've bought a used yeah. one, but if you're going to buy one from, you know, just, just something that's new and you're, you're looking to, okay. to start from the ground up, what do you yep. look for? Well, being a bit of a cheapskate, one of the first things I look at is what battery packs it takes <laughs> to see if I might already have some packs that will fit it. Hmm. Okay. Because that, that takes a big chunk of the coin out of it. If you don't have to buy battery packs right away, but past that, um, Obviously, um, part support, you know, where, where you live. If you don't have a good hobby shop around, then that point's somewhat moot because you'll 
probably just be ordering online, so it doesn't really matter what you're getting at that point. But if you do have a good local hobby shop, obviously I would tend to gravitate towards something that they stock. So if you need something, it's a five-minute run to the hobby shop to pick it up. As far as size goes, I guess it really depends on experience level. I always have been somewhat of a fan of 450s, as you all know, to start with, and I'm still somewhat there. I, I feel that gives you the most helicopter size for your dollar. Um, anything smaller isn't really that much less expensive, but once you start getting into 500s and bigger, costs go up substantially. So that's why I like 450s so much, or 330s or whatever. They want to size them by now, but that would be kind of the size recommendation. And then, of course, if that's not an issue, if you're already into bigger machines, yeah, I guess whatever whatever is big enough that you can fly where you're flying, if, uh, if your flying area has any constraints on size. And then, uh, I guess, the other thing is power type. I think most people are all going electric now i think <laughs> nitro is waving. not this guy no john, john i i i own i own fives i own two flying two nitros right now that i can take out and go fly but on top of that i have three extra 105s laying around in case i blow the other the, the, <laughs> the first two up so i i and, and i think and i think i have five pieces of fuel in my garage so 20-something gallons of fuel I have in my there garage. There you go. So, uh, so yeah, nitro is very much alive in this house. Okay, well, it's good. I'm so, glad to hear that because, yeah, it, uh, I thought nitro was dying, but it's good to know that a few people are still flying nitro. Yeah, much to, uh, much to Javier's smell, chagrin. The smell is amazing, right? <laughs> the smell is amazing. Thank you. <laughs> so how, how many helicopters? That's one thing I miss. How many helicopters do you currently have, John? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess with the micros, yeah, well, it's into the 40s. But big ones, um, looks like about 10 or so. Are they all electrics sans the turbo? No, no, no. I've, I've still got my one nitro, my very first helicopter. It's got sentimental value. Nice. It still flies. That's the only nitro I've got left. And then the only other fuel-powered one is the turbine. And then the remainder are all electric. Okay. And out of those, out of those, half of them are pod and boom still, and the other half are scale. So when you mentioned the, um, you know, you look for helicopters that share, might share a battery pack. Um, have you done any extensive research into, I guess, the quality of the batteries that are being produced from various factories and how they stack up? I know, I know, you've got an awful lot of things not, about the C rating and you know, um, yeah, all calculations. Not, not so much. I. You know, I tend, like most people, just to read the reviews. It's getting hard here in Canada, maybe everywhere, to get batteries in from outside of your own country. So very much I'm restricted now to what I can get uh, here locally in Canada, and that's predominantly um, Gen Zays. Oh, okay. Pulse. Great packs. So Great packs. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of Glacier packs from Buddy yep. RC down in your neck of the woods. Yeah. Um, I've got a ton of 450 batteries uh, or 6S batteries from 450s from uh, from them. Yeah, so I uh, yeah I've, I've I've got a few of those. They they were able to send me some before the uh, restrictions came in on shipping packs cross border. We can still get them here, but they the shipping is extremely expensive. It makes it uh, it makes it not uh, worthwhile. 
So, yeah, as, I guess as far as batteries, I just, I read reviews like everyone. Um, you know, I, I know what uh, works for me. You know, I when I first kind of got into electric, I was getting stuff, you know, dare I say the, the, the Turnigy name, but those packs, you know, I've still got quite a few Turnigy packs that are still working fine. But yeah, as far as uh, packs, it's kind of what we can get locally in our country now here anyway. Yeah, I don't think I was a. I don't think I was aware of the import regulations, um, and I'm not 100 percent sure what regulations the United States might have on bringing other packs in. Um, it seems like most of this, most of the stuff that I've I've bought online has been. Yeah, from you China, you've already so. got a good selection down there. Um, one, you've got a hobby king warehouse down there right. for anyone who wants to buy turnigy packs and then you know you've got uh, you've got every other great make you know there's there's a couple of brands out there that are super overhyped i won't name any <laughs> but uh oh you we have you have to name those you have to that's when it gets good <laughs> i don't even remember no, i don't I even I... remember the name of the one uh they're oh it's, they've got some ridiculous warranty like uh uh, this extreme warranty, but the packs are like $350. Like they're just outrageous. I can't remember the name of the place though. Um, oh. Thunder Power. No, 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 it's some other name. If it comes to me, I will, I will, I will think of it, but yeah, there, there's a few like that, that uh, lots of, lots of hype. Uh, they've got huge marketing budgets. You know, I would certainly stay away the, from those. And I guess the other, if if you're flying at a club, see whatever everyone else is using, right? Get their impressions. That's the one. I, that's the one thing I do miss about uh, the club uh, being way out here is, you know, I I am somewhat limited to what others are using and what what is working. I'm I'm basically um, confined to what I hear from my from my feedback from uh, visitors to my site what i read what i research you know i I've, i'm i'm out of touch with that personal one-on-one -on -one at the club and that is the one drawback it's not the only drawback i live in here believe me <laughs> when it comes to uh, flying rc helicopters that's certainly one well actually you know that did remind me of something that i was curious and i wanted to ask you um i've noticed that you have a fairly extensive review section on your website of the different helicopters that you've tried mm -hmm. um but they seem to be um like you seem to be missing quite a few of the i guess brands that have popped up in the last you know five or six years you know, yeah like um Something like maybe I don't know Excel Power or um, Oxy or um, you know any of the, like any of the yeah. Mikado machines, and I, I'm curious how, like you like you said, the availability of certain things in your area has impacted that, or do you have definitely, a do you have a series of brands that you just really like and you and you don't necessarily feel the need to branch out to any of those other guys? Yeah, I'm. You know, I I kind of tend to stick with what's familiar with what works. There's no. I don't think there's any surprise that I'm an Align person. I, I like T-Rexes. I've tried Goblins and I beautiful machines. <laughs> um, they're just, they're too much performance for me. Mm. I just think uh, for my flying style, I just cannot get the full appreciation that a Goblin has to offer. I uh, feel but the same I way, although I, although I try anyway. <laughs> I, I love their engineering and it's just, it's also a cost thing. You know, we've, we've had to scale back here and you know, I, all my helicopters, they're, they're getting older now. I've, uh, you know, I've only bought one newer one in the last probably three years. 
and just keeping the fleet as it is going right now is is fine with me i'm uh you know when when everything switched to fly barless yeah i was i was hard hard into getting new stuff but uh i guess that takes us back to where i think the hobby's going in the next five years i really haven't seen much need to upgrade um because i'm very happy with what i've currently got yeah and with with scale you, you there's really you never upgrade right you, you get a scale machine and unless you unless you crash it and total it you know you just keep flying them but again i'm totally i'm in a totally different uh, flying style i uh, i'm not looking for every ounce of performance you know i'm i'm sure a lot of people will say well yeah you're going to get a lot more performance now in the next 5 years and that's probably true but it's something that i as a scale and sport flyer just wouldn't be able to appreciate. So how does the, um, for the scale machines that you use the larger ones, um, how much of a difference in the, I guess the complexity in the setup is there between say going in and building a, um, one of the newer goblins, for instance, you know, cause I, I've noticed that when I built my first 450 version one with the fly bar, uh, it took me an incredibly long time to to get that built and and tuned and actually functioning. And I was so proud of it when I finally got it up and running just because of, and I know a lot of this was just because I was coming at this brand new and I didn't know a whole lot of, um, of, of the skills required to put together and tune a helicopter. But when I built my last goblin, you know, it, it took about a week um, at a leisurely pace. Uh, the tuning, I didn't have to do a whole lot of tuning with a fly bar, with a fly bar, this machine. It was uh, a fly bar unit. It was pretty good with the default settings. I didn't have to do a whole lot of mechanical tuning because it was pretty good after I built it. Uh, and I've noticed that there was just, I mean, I, I fiddled with that 450 for, for days, just trying to get it to fly properly. And I, I didn't have to do that with mm-hmm. my goblin and I haven't had to do it with my oxys. And I know mm-hmm. that there's like so much of that, of that knowledge that I painstakingly tried to learn early on that I wouldn't say it's irrelevant, but it's definitely, it hasn't become the pain point that it used to be. And again, this could be just because I know more now than I did, but I also feel that the hardware has gotten significantly better. And then the integrated software definitely. where, you know, you, you don't have to be a mechanical expert in order to get these things to, to do what you want them to do no. most of the time. No, the, the fly barless units have improved so much. Like you said, out of the box, you know, their parameters, you really don't have to mess with them much. You know, you, you set your, get your servos centered, get your collective and cyclic ranges set, get your direction set, and you're pretty much done. So that, that has definitely improved a lot. And like you said, uh, the mechanics now there's, you know, they've gotten away from bell cranks and all that stuff. We've got direct linkages. But I get, you know, I get the sense to some some degree that that is one of the things that you really do enjoy about the hobbies, the mechanical complexity of things. And I'm curious if your scale machines kind of still have that um, relative to some of the Well, you're, you're, you know, most of my, well, almost, well, all of them except one, uh, they're just pod and boom mechanics from a, from a T-Rex. Oh, okay. okay. I, I, I assume they were a bit older than that. No, no, uh, no. None of them are super old. The the only one that's quite a bit different than that is a Roban seven hundred AS three fifty that I've got, and those are specialized mechanics for that helicopter. Um, but that's all of Roban's helicopters are like that because they've got the full scale interiors. So all the mechanics are kind of up in the doghouse, just like a full size helicopter. Hmm. But all the other scale mm-hmm. ones I've got are just the fuselages that are covering the pod and boob mechanics. So 
whatever I've got for mechanics in them, that's as complicated as it gets. Okay. Well, with the, you There's know, not really too much more to it. With that, I guess, increase in, or the um, increase, I always say increase in simplicity, but like the way that uh, some of the newer machines require or uh, are, are less demanding on your personal mechanical knowledge, what would you still consider to be core fundamentals of building and setting up a helicopter that, you know, no matter how good the technology gets, no matter how good the, the, yep. uh, the build quality gets, like you still have to know these fundamental set of skills. You have to know them very well. Um, well, obviously Loctite <laughs> is your friend. <laughs> uh, oh, yes. I don't think that's ever going to change. Yeah. I, I think that's the biggest thing I still see people having problems with when I, I I'll, I'll still get helicopters from time to time to check out. And, um, there's, there's, there's three things that I normally see. One is just an over excessive use of Loctite in them or not enough, but usually it's too much and not, not cleaning. John, when did you look at my, sorry, go ahead. When did you look at our machines? <laughs> this is the one that has the blue sheen all over it, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Mine, mine has, you know, I put so much Loctite, you know, that blue shoots out the sides of it. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so it's that. Um, another one is wire management, chafing of wires. I see that a lot. Uh, so just not tying the wires down enough, not really realizing what can vibrate, what those wires can hit as the machine is flying. And then, uh, you know, balancing is not as important anymore, but I still think it's worth checking your blades. Blades now are pretty good though. I haven't had a set of unbalanced blades in a long time. I don't know. You you guys have built newer machines than I have probably, so uh, I don't even know if you even bother checking blade balance anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then... I still put tape on all my blades. I still balance them. I have I have the tool, but I've never used it. So yeah. that tells you something. You know, I got the, the little swivel. What is, it, what is blade, that thing called again? The blade swivel or the... <laughs> Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, I have one of those for all covered for in layer all kinds dust. of blades too. Well, it's 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 funny that I you know I have one and I use it, but only because of your only because of your articles, John. Yeah, well, I feel like it's you something know, that I just have, have to do after you've after you've checked your thirtieth set of blades and oh man, this was a waste. Yeah, <laughs> so that has gotten a lot better. Um, obviously, lubrication, right? That's still somewhat important, especially on thrust bearings, belts. A um, little bit of consideration there still, you know, applying a spray to them is something I recommend, like a silicone spray. Ooh, uh, okay. So this, not this only brings up an ancient topic. But to... <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, Javier can, yeah, Javier yeah, can yeah. kind of uh, fill you in on that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I went through a whole through a whole phase of that. Don't remind me of that. <laughs> that was a phase. What, it was just spray? a phase. No, the uh, tail static. You know, I I thought. Oh, tail! Oh, yeah, tail static. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I, had a... I I thought that I had tail static for the longest time until I figured out that I I wasn't. So um, it was it was a big. You know, I I got all these. Uh, you know, I even got my multimeters. You know, I got everything to to check it, and I then then I realized that it was something else. So so yeah. I... <laughs> oh, okay. But, so it wasn't a static issue. Oh, good. Yeah, you had a fascinating article on your, or you have a fascinating article on your website about tailbelt static that was, uh, it was written by, I guess, a guest contributor, right? That wasn't written by you? Yeah, yeah, I didn't write that one. It was uh, another fellow. Is that something that you've had personal yeah, he, experience with? Yeah, he did a with? good job on that. Uh, most of my stuff is torque tube, so I don't, I do have a few belts though. And static is so, uh, it's also where you fly. If you live in a humid and climate very rarely will it 
seem to bother you. At least that's what I've found here. But uh, yeah, to me, if you if you just give it a little spray every now and then, uh, you're going to cut down static problems. Uh, of course, I think most of the goblins have grounding now, don't they, on their belts? Nope. To, to, their, to ground it out to the frame? No, uh, the boom does a really good job out of it. If, if you really want to be anal about it, you can always scrap it. You can scrape up a little bit of the of the mounting to the top. But it's, I mean, it's I've, grounded by virtue of its design, though. Yeah. Yeah, because it's a big carbon points. boom, right? Yeah. Like that's the yep. whole thing's made out of carbon. Right. And then it's it's not isolated in a in a plastic mount, is it? When it's mounted to the body, it's electrically nope. mounted to the carbon frames as well. Yeah, it's mechanically. 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 Uh, so yes. meaning it would also be electrically yeah. connected. I would think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Mine have mine have continue has continuity between the the tail. Um, I want to say the tail shaft and my transmission plate. Yeah. So you've got lots of dissipation. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah. So and then I guess belt tension. You folks would probably know more know about that than I do, seeing that I don't have many belted machines. Yes. Yeah. Yes. With goblins, with goblins, it's very easy. The, it's it's funny because you know there's these whole threads on uh you know on on sites like Helifreak about belt tension about setting it right and. That is that is you know pretty important because you you set um, you know tension too tight you snap the belt and you uh, you put it too uh, too slack and then you'll run into issues. But you know goblins are simple. The the manual just states in big bold letters make it as tight as you can. So uh, so yeah, <laughs> just just do that and it and it works. <laughs> just like pull it until you can't pull it any farther. Tighten it down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's no like sprung tensioners or anything on the belts. There, is there correct? is. You know, there's a belt. There's a belt oh, tensioner. There is. Sir. It's, um, it's like an idle gear, essentially that that puts tension on on that. But it also works. It also works as an indicator to see if you have your belt tight enough. Okay. Because it, it comes off the side of the frame, and if you have it about a degree or two off the frames, then you know you're pretty. You're especially on the 700s. Yeah. You're pretty. You know you're pretty solid. Okay. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, John, now that we're talking about this, you made a video actually about blade, uh, tightening up your blades. You have no idea how much that has helped me over the years to set my blades correctly. Oh, geez, that's an old video. <laughs> yeah, that that video was because I used to run them so tight that it would literally create uh, head shakes. Yeah. But once I saw the video and I understood the how to actually set them, oh, it made, it made all my oh good. And I still run them kind of tight, but I still I followed your teachings on that. Yeah, and it's definitely helped out. Uh, the fly barless unit doesn't have to work as hard, uh, and I definitely don't get that many shakes like I used to. Yeah, yeah, it was when I started too. Like no one seemed to be able to tell me how tight they should be, and I over tightened everything. So. Yeah, I think we've all been there. Yeah, and then I, I guess uh, as far as the rest of the build, um, it's, it's more set up now, like just programming everything. I think that's as, as much, if not more, uh, of building a modern helicopter now is actually the mechanical build of it. My uh, Achilles heel continues to be soldering, and uh, maybe not for the smaller ones, but for the larger helicopters, soldering the batteries is always a is always a challenge for me. I, for, I have a hard time getting the solder to remain liquid long enough to stuff it into the plug. Uh, does anybody else have this problem? Is it just me? Do I just suck at soldering? <laughs> a lot of I just use I just 
I just use flux. I just use flux. That's always been my key. And I kind of, and John, you, you correct me here. Cause I know you have a lot more experience and I, I and I've learned to start reading your articles, but I usually try to heat up my connector and the wire essentially at the same time. So I might be able to feed the solder in while the, while the connector is still pretty hot. And I kind of go from there. There's no, for me, there's no real science. I just done it so many times already over the years. That's worked out pretty well. I've, I've done the heat, the heat, the connector trick and, and melted the connector many times. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, Paul, what, what uh, soldering uh, wattage iron or what are you using? Um, I am, I'm just wondering if it's a lack of heat issue. No, I'm using a pretty, I'm pretty powerful. One. Hold on. Let me, uh, let me pretty beefy iron. Okay. Yeah. Let me go check which one I've got real quick. I, I should know this off the top of my head, but, um, oh, damn it. It's in the garage. It's the blue and it's the blue and yellow one. You know, the, the, the Hako. Oh, the high, yeah, yeah, yeah. The it's a yeah, seven. No. I think it's a seven fifty. Uh, I'm not trying to try to remember. It's it's not. You know, it's it's a it's a relatively common soldering iron. I, I had a yeah. really cheap one when I started, oh. and that was definitely the problem. It wasn't getting hot enough. Um, and that mm. moving to the moving to the nicer one has allowed me to solder my smaller pieces of equipment with no problem. I still struggle on the larger success packs though. So I like uh, ten gauge and bigger. Yeah, I still have a limitation. Incredibly difficult time getting, and I've, I know I'm going to get, I know I'm going to have a crash related to a cold solder, solder joint at some point, just because my skills um, are lacking. Yeah. But um, yeah, any any tips you have on? You're not using leaded solder, unleaded solder, are you? Not that I'm aware of. Okay, because that's a bear to work with that unleaded stuff. It's uh, a nice sixty forty or thirty seven sixty three solders. The, the the most forgiving. Okay. Well, I will add that to my next um, my next run. Right. I, I'm, I'm actually due for, for, a solder, for a solder purchase soon. Paul, what kind of tip um, are you using? The very, the very I'm using tip? I'm using the thin one um, for my smaller things, and then I've got like a flat, um, almost like a fill, almost like a flathead screwdriver, uh, but a, but a very new like one. a chisel. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. That's good. Same thing we do. I I do. All right. So the the consensus is I just suck. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. I got it. <laughs> no, you just got doing everything right. Just don't do you, you know? <laughs> don't do the things that you choose to be. Ship ship them to John. <laughs> oh man. We we need we need a soldering simulator. <laughs> that would be incredibly boring and so useful. Yeah. That's... <laughs> yes it would. I'll never forget one of the um one of the very first times I tried to solder uh, a battery for my 450, I bridged the connector and basically melted it in about a quarter of a second. Um, I have never seen that much heat expelled from a battery that quickly. <laughs> it scared the shit out of me. Uh, so I've always had a healthy, res- I've had a healthy respect for for um, how powerful these batteries are, and I'm very, very hesitant to uh, to repeat that with a, a larger success battery. Um, so yeah, Javier, they make good some... arc welders. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Javier, you had some notes in here about um, centering and uh, servo centering and throws, uh, mechanical gain and stuff. Did you want to speak to that? Yes, yes. Uh, so basically, wanted to pick your head, uh, John, on, um, you know, um, I've, I've always been wondering about, um, uh, you know, everyone knows that we should center the service, right? As, as, as better, as best you can. The spline will not always allow you to do that. Uh, but then, you know, the flavorless units of today have a, uh, what they call subtrim to make sure that, you know, get, yep. they get um, uh, on goblins is 180 degrees or, or you know, on regular um, uh, helicopters that have a geometry where they stand up, they're at 90 degrees. 
Uh, but regardless, you know, they, they have to be either at 180 or 90 as, as, as perfect as possible. Uh, but what, what, I've, uh, what I've wondered about, John, what I would like to pick your brain on mostly is, uh, you know, the mechanical gain. There's a lot that talks about, you know, um, when you, sh- you sh- uh, should you start, um, you know, moving the, uh, the, the servo, the servo uh, ball basically uh, along the, uh, the servo arm. You know, um, on goblins, to me, it's been fairly simple, and the way that I've done it, that I've done it, and I'm not sure if I'm doing it right. But the only thing that I do is that it, you know the manual just says go from this distance to this distance, and that's what you have to do. So I just uh, I just get the servo horn and make sure that I'm within that range of distance, and I just put it there and just don't move it, regardless of you know what happens. So. Um, I wanted to know from you, is, is that something that you play around with? And, you know, what would be the pointers to try to understand if you need to move it farther or closer? Um, uh, you know, what are the indicators to, you know, start messing around with that? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> on, on a line T-Rex, is, it's, it's pretty, you don't have many choices. Uh, you've got one hole, essentially. So there's not much playing around. But if you do have, you know, if you've got a servo arm with several holes in it, I guess the first thing, now I'm not sure which fly barless system you're using or use their systems. I know the ones that I've done, Bavarian Demons, they, they will, when you're setting up your collective or your cyclic range, when you're giving a full travel command, you know, it, it's telling you what, what the amount of pitch should be. So say you're setting up your cyclic travel and the fly barless unit says you want to see nine degrees plus or minus. And if you have to dial your, it'll say in the fly barless unit, if, you know, say you had to dial the output of that channel to maybe 40% to get it in that range, that's when the fly barless unit would, would say in the instructions that that would be too low. I don't know if that makes sense, but so that that would mean that would mean that the the servo is over traveling like there's too much throw mechanical throw for the fly barless unit. So then in that case, you would want to move your uh, your ball in on the servo arm. So the further out you move it, of course, the longer your travel is going to be. The closer into the shaft, the less travel. Okay. But that's that. You know, that's. <laughs> I don't know if I'm even answering the question right or <laughs> understand the question. Well, I guess I guess but, uh, you 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 kind of you, you kind of pointed in the right direction. Um, you know, uh, the different flyberless units uh, that I've worked with usually have a. Uh, you know, um, I've heard about it a lot of because you know. 80% of the heli world today is kind of neo, so everyone calls it a cyclic ring. But, you know, you know different flyberless systems call it differently. But it's it's kind of like the same concept that, you know, the cyclic ring is the addition of the uh, cyclic plus the collective. So basically, you just cannot go further than, than that. And if you cannot get enough of that, you know, you, you would have to go the other way. So basically, when you're setting up, the flyberless unit will let you know if uh, you're not giving it enough or you're if you're giving it too much and then you have to go you know the other way around um on on the ball putting more or less mechanical gain as you as you indicated which is more or less travel now would that would that is that something that you need to to change uh on the um uh, on, on the mechanical gain of the distance on the servo ball or is that something that you could also fix by decreasing or increasing the the length of the linkages, or is that you know a different problem? 
linkage length as in um, from the servo arm up to the swash yeah or from the swash up to the blade grip uh from the servo to the or both. yeah well both but yeah. but but to to make kind of apples to apples from the from the servo yeah well the push rod length isn't really going to change your mechanical throw at all you're just you're either short you're if you change the length you're either going to well assuming you change it equally on all three you would either raise or lower the swash plate but that's not going to change the mechanical throw or change the gain you would either have to change your ball length up on the swash plate or uh, how far away your um, ball is on the servo arm from the center of the shaft of the servo. Okay. Does that kind of make sense or yes. did I miss yeah, something? Yep. So it's so basically the best way is to have like a standard length of uh, of the linkages, uh, have it equal among uh, among the three the, the the three linkages, and then just uh, play around with that with that mechanical gain on the servo arm if needed basically yes yes yeah yeah if you're yeah again it's it's very dependent on the fly barless unit and i guess because i haven't done a goblin maybe i'm missing something that is adjustable um that i'm not familiar with but just just going by all the ones i've built the fly barless unit it should say if you're out of travel range you know if you have to dial either in your radio or on the fly barless unit to get whatever pitch angle they're looking for. If it's over a certain amount, like if you really have to reduce it, or if you really had to increase it to a high amount, then that's when you would want to start moving your servo ball on your arm in or out to either increase or decrease the uh, the throw or the mechanical gain, if you want to call it that. Right, right. Okay. And uh, since we're talking about, you know, swash plate um, and uh, servo arm travel, uh, it's it's... I've heard, you know, both sides of the argument uh, that the um, the flyberless systems today are, let's say, smart enough to compensate for some uh, mechanical discrepancies. And you kind of mentioned that before as well, that, you know, on the flyber world, you had to be very precise. You had to make sure that everything mechanically was accurate because that was it, right? I mean, whatever mechanically you said, yeah. that's that's how the helicopter would behave. But in today's flyberless world, um, you can mess that up slightly. You don't have to be like down to the to 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 the to the T to make sure that things are going to work because the flyberless is anyway is going to try to keep compensating. However, I've also heard the other side of the argument that yes, that may be true. However, the the less uh, the less perfect you make it then the more work you add to the flyberless unit. So it's going to be trying to comp compensate for all of that uh, instead of just trying to, to to fly the heli, which is, you know, complex enough as it is with, uh, you know, with a rotating uh, with a rotating disc that it has, has to keep moving all the all the servos to keep it in the direction that, that you want it to go. So I um, wanted to to get your your thoughts on, you know, how important really is um, on your experience and, and you know, on based on, on uh, what you've heard from your users, uh, people that ask you and your own experience, you know, how important it is to get these mechanical setup right, you know, the perfect uh, swash uh, leveling, the perfect uh, zero pitch, you know, all, all of these about, you know, regarding head setup. Okay. Uh, I, I still do strive for is perfect as I can. You know, I still use a swash leveling tool on all my machines. I, I don't really know if having the fly barless unit 
work any harder is uh, is a thing. <laughs> you know, they've got such fast processors in them now. Is that really adding to the workload and slowing things down as far as the flybarless unit goes? I know for my type of flying, it isn't. Now, maybe maybe at the very extremes of 3D, it is. Uh, but I, I strive for a perfectly level swash, perfectly level uh, arms when everything's at neutral. I want to register that in the FPL unit. And, you know, most of the time off the bench, it's it's a hands-off hover that isn't drifting. Okay. Um, I don't know if that really answers your question. But I think for the average person, the average flyer, you can be off and the FBL unit is going to compensate and it's not going to cause any issues. Right. Okay. Um- but... Maybe for maybe for the hard performance flyer, then yes. And I, I would say, like anything, the harder you fly them, you know, the more precise things have to be. Right. Yeah. That's that's a good point. That's a good point. And John, what what type of tools? You mentioned the swashlight leveler, uh, which you know is just basically a mechanical uh, machined uh, uh, piece that makes sure that you have the correct equal distance between all the servo arms, but. Um, what other tools do you use? And uh, and I would like to, you know, uh, talk a little bit about my experience with using the pitch gauge. But uh, I would like to know what what type of what types of tools do you use to set up your head, and uh, what kind of, you know, if you have any method, you know, I've heard about this blade fold method. You know, um, what methods uh, and tools do you use to set up your head? Yep. Okay. Um, well, my two primary ones are just a just a digital pitch gauge. Nothing exciting and a swash tool so a three-eared swash tool that uh, i will set the swash level with the arms all parallel or level and that just slides well you've probably all seen the swash tools they just slide over the shaft they've got the three little ears that come off of them and when your swash is level there won't be any air gaps between the swash tool and the swash plate so then you know your swash is perfectly level and then as far as using the um the digital pitch gauge to to set my neutral point so my zero degree pitch point i I will generally just eyeball down the length of the blade and eyeball it against the other blade to see if there's any pitch. But certainly folding them back onto each other, if they're out, if the swash isn't at the right height, the blades won't be sitting perfectly in line with each other. And I know on the goblins, they've got the little pitch indices right on the head. Yes. Which are very accurate. I know the couple I've set up, I've just had that pitch indice in the center hash mark. And as long as I get it there, if I do fold the blades back, they're always almost perfectly in line. So that's the, uh, yeah, I I don't know why not as many manufacturers have pitch indices on their blade grips. I think it's a wonderful um, addition. Like, I don't know, do the Oxys have that, Paul? No, I mean, not that I I know of. Maybe some yeah. of the newer ones do. But yeah, well, yeah, no, goblins I, are goblins. <laughs> 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 uh, well, I, I have I have one question for you for you, uh, John, and uh, that's this is this is mostly my, my my personal experience and my personal gripe with um, with pitch gauges, and I I'm still trying to figure that one out. So here's my issue: um, most helicopters have what they call what they call a rake. You know, they 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 are at an angle. So basically. Um, if you look at the main shaft, the the ideal scenario is for the main shaft to be perfectly perpendicular to the floor, right, or to the ground, or to to where you're leveling. But most helicopters have an angle, which means that the uh, 
yep. that, that, that it is slightly tilted and not perfectly perpendicular or 90 degrees to the ground. So what happens yep. to me is that um, I insert my pitch gauge. Well, first I, I, uh, I use the motor to, to level it to zero. Then I insert it into the blade. But what happens is that because of that angle, if the blades rotate after I've inserted my pitch gauge, then I will have a different angle measurement because it, it, because it, it's not it's traveling uh, it's not traveling perfectly on the same on, on, on the same uh, plane. It's traveling. Yeah, you're, it, it's not plumb. So correct. Yeah. So um, how do how do you overcome that? I guess because because I always seem to 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 have that issue that every single time that I set zero, I always have to do some sort of of change, <laughs> you know, it's it's. I always have to yeah. have to have to b- give it a little bit more more movement. And thank God for the uh, uh, for for you know for the turnbuckles uh, that I can just insert a little tool and you know twist it a little bit. But I always have to do corrections every time that I put the the pitch gauge in, uh, which is what I've which, why I've opted to basically set up one and then you know blade fold and uh and adjust the other one and that's it and that that kind of helps but um but i wanted to know because uh, you know like you said i want to be as as precise as possible so how do you overcome that uh that you know natural angle without having to level the helicopter uh so i will generally just pick one blade and i will lock it in either the forward or the aft position so it can't rotate and then i will set all my all my collective pitch from that uh, uh, like, so what I'll do is, okay, I'll, I'll get my, everything's level, swash plates level. I will fold the blades and, you know, to get them, either eyeball them, either look at the hash mark or fold them uh, against each other. So I know when they're exactly at zero and then, and then I will have the blades either, well, you know, one out, one out at the front of the nose and one going down the length of the boom. So the backward tilt at that point isn't really going to cause any issues. Um, I will zero the pitch gauge out when I put it on the blade, and then I will set my collective range. I think I, did I miss anything? No, I think that's everything I would do. And again, I only do one blade. I don't worry as far as, like, I think you're also talking about tracking here. You're, you're trying to get those two push rods identical. Yeah. And maybe you're trying to take pitch readings off both blades. Well, that- I, I did that at one point and then I gave up and I, then I used the blade fault method. <laughs> yeah. See, what, what I do is I will only, I, I only concentrate on one blade when I'm building the helicopter or when I'm setting the swash height to get zero degrees. The linkages, I measure them with a um, digital caliper. Mm-hmm. So those two linkages mm-hmm. that go from the swash plate up to your blade grips. I measure those with a digital caliper to make sure they're identical in length. And then most of the time, I don't even have to worry about tracking afterward. Because as long as those two, uh, those two linkages from the swash plate up to the blade grip are identical in length, you're not going to have any tracking issues. And you shouldn't even have to adjust them. So the only thing I will be doing, I will ensure those are the exact same length with a digital caliper and... I will set my collective range then with the blades pointed forward and back. I will just put the pitch gauge on one of them, usually the front one, and that's where I will set my plus minus 10 or 12 or whatever your collective range is. Right. Okay. Okay. And uh, uh, I don't know if that answers your question, but... Yeah, it does. Uh, I just have one one more. Uh, what do you use to lock your plates into position to make sure that well, they, they don't that they don't rotate? You mean so they don't so they don't rotate yes. when you're doing everything? Right. They just usually stay there. 
Uh, I guess if if um, if they were the only maybe maybe they're spinning. If they're not um, if they're not completely straight out in the grips, they will rotate from weight as you pitch them, and that would cause the shaft to rotate. Mm-hmm. But I've I've really never had a problem with them rotating when I'm setting up. They usually just stay in one like they'll stay. If they move a little bit, I'll just I'll just turn them back. Right. Because once you zero your pitch gauge, you know, if, if the blade if if the blade moves sideways a little bit, I'll just I'll manually move it back and that that shouldn't upset the uh the pitch gauge at all. Okay. All right. All right. Um uh, at least that's been my experience. All right. Yeah, mine mine uh I I'm I'm like, terrible well, at that. My mine keeps rotating. What like uh, why is it is it rotating when you're stirring the swash plate? Is that what's causing it to rotate? No, just uh, just uh, uh, you know uh, what you do is that you have like a little spring mounted mechanism that uh, creeps the blade. Um, when you you know the, that that's the one that's kind on, of like on, the mount on a for pitch the gauge. yes the mount for the pitch gauge. So once yeah. uh, once that bites and then it has like uh, magnets to to uh, you know to attach to that mount. When I do that, that kind of you know that small force of the magnets and and uh, and the positioning on on the blade just makes it move towards the uh, you know towards the, the, the heavy side the of the yes. So that and it's and it's just a little bit. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. No, no, I I understand now. Yeah, I I guess you could. Uh, no, that wouldn't work. I was going to say you could put your um, the uh, your foam blade holder on the boom. And just hold the one blade in it, so it won't turn. So the blades won't turn, but then you won't be able to pitch your blades up and down because it's in the blade holder. Right, right. That's that's the same thing I thought. And then I they I turned around, and uh, there's uh, there's actually a lot of negative pitch uh, for the blade holder. So that would not be possible. The blade holder would have yeah, to be that, at okay. zero. Pitch. So yeah, it's not high enough. Right, it's not tall enough. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Short of uh, uh, making something that. Uh, I don't know. Could could you maybe make a little thing? Even just thinking something that you could just softly clamp around the boom or the round, sorry around the mast, uh, so it wouldn't uh, turn inside the frames. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even a clothespin. Yeah, I guess uh, that I need uh, to start saving up for a soco tool or something. <laughs> if I if I want to if I want to be that, yeah. that that anal about it, dude. I have a soco tool and it's amazing. It's, yeah, they're the great. Soco right? in the app is my yeah. it, it's my favorite thing. I don't. I don't. I only use the pitch gauge to set the actual pitch. Like I don't, nothing else. And and most of the time I can do it all from the Soko. So. So you level your swatch with it's it as well. Pay- yep. Yeah. I do everything. I don't. I don't. I built the entire helicopter. I don't pull the head off. I don't do anything. I do everything yeah. from the. I do similar to what you were saying, where I use a micrometer to set all my links to be the same size. Mm-hmm. And that way, I know that that those that that distance from top to bottom is pretty set right and then the only thing i ever use i use i i fly the makata v control right mm-hmm. and i don't know if john if you're if you're familiar with it but i can do pretty much the entire setup from the radio i don't need to plug in my computer or anything yeah it, uh, it and, yeah. Uh, yeah and i can get the i can get it to zero usually a couple of degrees up or down you know i use i don't use adjustable arms i use the reg i use the sap arm so couple uh, notches of trim each direction usually pretty much get me set to where i need to be mm-hmm. and but far as the the head like what i mean we could talk about this later if you want but what's what's it actually happening the head itself is rotating or it's moving it's it's rotating around the 
the the main shaft or the blade itself is is changing the pitch no, itself or the no, blade the, the, is the changing. shaft is rotating the yeah. shaft is rotating have you thought about but like uh i don't know if you can do this with the goblins have you thought about clamping the main shaft to the frame like like using a big wood clamp or yeah that's what i would do a big wood clamp to catch both one side and the main gear on the other so it it holds nice and tight i just i have never had that i, I don't know if it's i haven't had that issue though I usually i'm pretty once it's set there i pretty much it's pretty much dead set on me and you're using which which is the pitch uh, cage regular, you're using? Uh, you know what is it rc logger the the one that everyone uses yeah yeah yeah, I, I I have those too, and I'm surprised. Yeah, I I don't know that. why. I you know it 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 always moves out on me. I mean, it's not much, but uh, and you know I I return it. You know, physically, I just turn it the other way against the against the against the motor. So it, so I have to push a little bit uh, harder. But uh, but you know it's it's. <laughs> it it's it's it happens to me all the time and 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 it drives me drives me insane that that it just moves with have, and it's like such and it just starts moving yeah but uh have you thought about cutting like taking like if you have any crash blades cutting it so you just have the root of the blade and a little bit left of the blade so you can just snap it on right there kind of making your own little uh specific blade just for uh, setting the head yeah. and setting the I've, I've done that before before having the circle tool that might be something so yeah because then you don't have fly. all that mass sitting out on the end yeah yeah. yeah, and you tend to get a more accurate reading that way. I think you know the closer you are to the head, I think it's the more accurate your your gate, right. your pitch gauge right. is. Yeah. You know, yeah, because, because yeah, where, where so. are you mounting your pitch gauge, uh, Javier? Uh, the are you mounting it kind of out at the tip or right at the root? Right at, at the, well, as close as I can to the root. To the head, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right where it starts. Uh, you know, going slimmer. I don't know how to call that part. Um, that that at right at the end of the wide cord, uh, that's you know that's where I put it. Yeah, it's close to the head. Yeah. So oh, um, thought where it's rotating. Yeah, I I don't know. <laughs> the the weirdest things happen to me. You, you'll you know if, because if, if, it, it's, if the heli is tilted forward, and you've got that weight on that forward blade, if anything, that's where it should want to rotate to. Yes, yes, but it but it always rotates uh, a little bit to the left. And then I just have to off get to the it. side. Yes, <laughs> and then I have to get it back. And it's not much, but it throws away my 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 measurement. I mean, um, and then if when I return it, because when I return it, I don't return it always to the exact same spot. And I realize that because I I try to do the the process again, and I have to make a small adjustment. So you know, it's not. It hasn't been an issue. I just wanted to be a little bit more anal about it. You know, it's not that, that you know, my helicopters are not flying properly. And this is for when you're setting your collective range, correct? Yes. Yes. When I'm, I'm, I'm setting my, my collective range and, uh, you know, I, I keep having all these sorts of small issues. Like also um, the, the, the thing that also happens a lot to me is that you set uh, your, you know, you set your, your collective, but you also set your cyclic, which is usually a set a set amount of degrees. Uh, the collective is, you know, whatever you want, but but the uh, the the cyclic is usually a set amount of degrees. And what happens mm-hmm. to me also very 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 commonly is that um, you know I set the the pitch gauge at the same spot, and then you use you use the uh, instead of the collective, you use the cyclic, basically the ailerons to measure uh, one side and the other, and even though I use a mechanical swatch leveler to that, you know, the SAB swatch leveler actually, you, you don't need to remove anything. It, it has a slit. Yeah, it's got so a you, slot in yes, it, right? So yeah. it's, it's awesome. So, um, 
So what what uh, what happens? I know that I have a swash, a, a level swash, uh, because I I go through a lot of time to make sure that you know I go until the the servos start buzzing and then just go one click up. So I make sure that everything is 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 you know is 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 nice and smooth and and perfectly uh, level. But then when I do left aileron, let's say I get six degrees, and when I go right aileron, I go to like six point five degrees or seven degrees. You know, I I I, yeah. I don't seem to get the the exact same same measurement on both sides. Yeah, no, I get I get the same thing, <laughs> uh, and that's why I just pick one blade. I, I don't worry about checking the other one, like on the other side. I will I will just set I'll I'll pick the one blade, and if I set my cyclic when it's on the lefter, well, it would be the aileron, right? If you're going sideways, I I don't know what it is. Is it is it that the pitch gauges are they don't they are out a little bit but really half a degree i don't even care about okay yeah because that that me that's that's well within the resolution and accuracy of the gauge and you know it, it could even be just if your table isn't completely level you know anything if that shaft isn't perfectly plumb uh, which it never really will be even if you had a you know level skids you know the table it's sitting on there's always going to be a little bit of angle in there and that's going to throw out the uh, gauge from side to side. Okay, okay, that's good. That's good because that 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 always just so let it stroke the, me. Uh, yeah, don't don't stress over. <laughs> <laughs> don't stress over half a degree or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Life's too short. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, and and you know the fel- the helis fly fly fine. So I just said, you know what, you know, is the flyball is just doing everything for me or what? I mean, because I seem to be you know very crappy about this, <laughs> but but it's good, you know, it's good, it's good to have a. Yeah, I think as long as your swash is level and your blades are in track, if you're 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 there pretty much. Yeah, there's I don't think you can do much more. Oh, you probably can, but. Uh... As an average flyer, I'm I'm more than happy with that when I see that kind of a setup. Okay. All right. Because yeah, some of the some of the machines I've seen, uh, yeah, uh, they wonder why they don't fly. You, know, you can physically see that the swash plate's crooked, and you get it up, and there's probably an inch. You can see an inch of difference in the blade tracking. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's funny. Um, I have a, I have a story about that. I don't know why it happened. You know, I set up the helicopter. This this was this was a while ago. Uh, you know, I thought I I had um set up the, the you know the head properly you know making sure that everything was nice and level and i had the same pitch up and down and you know whatever you know to the best of my abilities at that point however this was when uh, you know way back when when i was uh, just trying to start to fly inverted you, you know inverted left to right and right to left i um i made a you know a, a fast forward uh, you know pass left to right and then i just uh, went up and started flying inverted because i wanted to do to to do a you know fast forward flight left to right you know going inverted in a straight line across the field and uh, i noticed that the heli started to naturally go towards the ground and i was like you know what what the hell so i gave it you know more more collective more more negative collective and the helicopter kept going down and I, I didn't know what to do, you know, because the helicopter, no matter, you know, I was at the end of the, of the collective and it kept going down on, on a downwards trajectory. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I hit throttle hold, 
the the brush was pretty high the 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 helicopter miraculously was unharmed you know it didn't have in, not even a ding on the blades i get it back and i had my pitch gauge and i had like 15 positive and like 10 negative something like that i, I don't know how that happened but that was that was my that was my answer so that's why i also want to make sure that i double check and triple check everything yeah <laughs> all right so um uh, we've uh, we've talked a little bit about soldering and uh, pulse soldering woes. We've talked a little bit about the head. Uh, we've talked about servo. We've talked about you know your first kit build. We've talked a little bit about the tools as well. Uh, also, I would like to know a little bit about uh, building space. Uh, I know that there's people that assemble on the kitchen table. <laughs> uh, there's people that have you know very nice places. What do you kind of recommend to have like a a safe space? space to you know to build your helicopter um yeah i don't have anything really special just an old desk uh nice and solid level service uh, level surface biggest thing is adequate lighting yeah you don't need much space for these things it's not like an airplane where you're building up wings or anything yeah in my space i you know i like to have all my tools kind of off on the one corner and yeah it's nothing special uh, the, I guess the main, th the other thing is that it's undisturbed because a lot of times you're not going to be able to finish it in one day or one weekend. So a place that, uh, you know, isn't going to be disturbed by others, that might be the uh, one downside of the kitchen table. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But uh, yeah, adequate lighting. I, I also have one of those, um, oh, what are they called? Like it's an articulated magnifying lamp. You know, you mount it on the nice. desk, it's on an arm, it's got a big kind of lens in it and like a ring. This is an old one, it's a fluorescent ring light. I think all the new ones are LED, but uh, I, I know that thing sure comes in handy. And now that my eyeballs are 52 years old, uh, yeah, I'm needing reading glasses these days, but that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. So uh, I have one. And, one uh, yeah. Sure. Oh, I was just going to say the only other thing I've got, I've just added and I've quite, I've enjoyed it. I've got a little monitor up now just above my workspace so I can bring up, uh, you know, either, you know, whatever when I'm building a helicopter, if there's some kind of online extra instructions or even if it's just online instructions, uh, it's kind of nice having the monitor uh, above the workspace. Yeah, for sure. That, 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 that's a pretty good idea. Nice, nice. Really no different, I guess, than having a tablet or, you know, a laptop on the side, but it just gets it out of the way, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get your point. I get your point. That's that's definitely a good idea. I've uh, If you've got a small space anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've always, uh, you know, fantasized of using a big screen LED and just putting it there to sell that double purpose and also simming. But one day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I like I like using an assembly towel. Uh, just so when I drop a little set screw, it doesn't go bouncing off into the floor below and never find it again. Yeah. Or carpet that that'll make it lost. Yeah. Anything that will, you know, uh, light colored because the screws are dark. So they're easy to see when they drop or a little washer. Yeah. But a carpet, whatever. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to gather your thoughts on one final thing, uh, John, the, the, um, there, I've heard, I've heard these uh, these recommendations. Just wanted to get your input. The the tail, uh, I've heard that the tail, uh, because it has a brass bushing, that it should not be. Uh, you should not put any uh, any kind of grease or lubricant on it. Is that is that something that you also don't do? Uh, do you not lubricate your um, the, the tail shaft? Uh, no, I I always lubricate my tail shaft hmm. just with uh, 
So you're talking like the brass uh, sleeve on the pitch slider. Right, right. And that's why, you know, I've heard that that's because, uh, because, that's, because that's kind of like self-lubricating. So you don't need lubrication. And if you do, you'll attract, mm. uh, you'll attract dust. So that's what I've heard. And uh, I yeah. stopped lubricating the tail shafts. I haven't had any issues doing, you know, doing that. Practice. Had, okay. So yeah, I've, I've actually lost track of how many times I've read that. That's uh, seemed to be quite popular advice now. Yeah. But I was, I was curious about it as well. Cause I, I mean, so you're saying okay. John, that you've yeah, never actually, I've, I've actually, that's something I've never heard. Uh, yeah, same here. It's, uh, you know, I'm just thinking those brass bushing, like the only way they would be self-lubricating if they were a sintered shaft and the few I've taken out, they're just machine solid brass. They're not sintered. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you've, you've sparked my curiosity on <laughs> it must that be one a, well. It must be a heli freak thing, Javier, because I've seen it too. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, may, maybe, maybe some machines are coming with sintered brass sleeves. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Uh, Nothing. Not, nothing that I have though is has got a centered uh, sleeve, and I've always put a light light oil on them. You know, nothing heavy, not a grease or anything. Right. Right. Just a uh, um, either either some light silicone oil or just light uh, even three in one. Hmm. Just something. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. Good. A- any any time I've had them where they're dry, like you can feel it. And I've always aimed for like a butter when when I'm pulling the push rod where the servo is, I want that thing to be butter smooth. And anytime I've done it on a dry shaft, it is not butter smooth. But if you if you're using it and it's working fine, yeah, hey. yeah. I, I mean, it's it's worked for me. But you know, um, that I that, that I guess the only thing I would find like just every now and then feel your feel if there's any play in that pitch slider on the shaft, and if you're noticing play increasing on there, like lateral play then obviously something's wearing or if you see dark powder yeah that would be an indicator that the brass is wearing because the brass will definitely wear quicker than the uh, stainless shaft right okay good oh that's interesting yeah yeah i okay okay i guess i'll um i'll try it both ways you making know. a note of that one yeah <laughs> good good i'll i'll uh, i'll i you know i'm also curious i think i'm gonna you know based on based on on, on what we've talked i think that will I will I will try at least one. What I use is uh, something called White Lightning, which is uh, a bicycle chain lubricant. So that's what I use on the main shaft. Yep. So um, I'm gonna start u- trying that on the on the tail shaft and see you know if if see if see if that makes any difference or not. Mm. Okay. Do you fly in the cold? No, no. I've I've uh, I've abandoned okay. to fly on the cold. I don't. I used to fly okay. on the cold. But my very worst crashes were always yeah. in the cold, so I just in the cold. ignored it. Okay. <laughs> Numb thumb. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. And then it, it all shatters, so it, they, they got very expensive. <laughs> all right, so um, that's uh, that's all the questions that I had. Uh, you guys, do you have any, any more? No, I think that was... I think you covered it all. Again, John, um, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. This is... Um, well... Uh, it's been a real it pleasure, my pleasure guys. It uh, uh, really, really enjoyed it, and thanks for having me on. I don't know if I was much help, but uh, any, anything to promote the hobby, hey, I'm a hundred percent for. So, well, I'm curious. Again. Do you uh, do you attend any um, events that we might run into? Uh, not anymore. Uh, it's just it's uh, where we live. There's really in Canada. If you know how, not many people fly these things, right? Even down in the states, there's probably it's it's not a huge group, and up here uh, it's very small. So unless I'm willing to travel to a big city, and it's just in the summer, 
things are so hectic around here. I just, I just don't have time. Okay. Well, if you ever show up at Archa, we'll, uh, <laughs> <laughs> got a spot for me. Hey, yeah. <laughs> when is it? It's in August every year, right? Yes. Every year, except last one. <laughs> what happened last year? The, uh, there was a big rocket worldwide competition and, uh, the powers that be decided to move it uh, instead because it's always been, uh, on the first week of, uh, of August, but they had to move it because, uh, because they had this competition. Oh, okay. So it was still held. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's still held. They just moved it last year. They just moved it one week, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, oh, okay. it's still okay. being held, um, on the same, on the same days. Cool. All right. That was really good. Um, thanks, John, uh, for, you know, uh, everything that you've done for the hobby that your, your experience is tremendous. I mean, 30, 30 years doing these and then 11 with the, uh, with the webpage, that's pretty impressive. And, um, uh, for sure, uh, we recommend anyone listening that has not yet, that is living under a rock and not yet gone to that website for sure. Go and check it out. I'm pretty sure it's not possible to learn how to fly or maintain these things without visiting John's website. But yes, yeah. for those Kelly is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Well, thanks for the thanks for the plug, guys. <laughs> uh, John, are you? But quick question: Are you on Facebook by any chance? Uh, no, I was, but I kind of got off of it and don't really miss it. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, the reason, the reason, the reason why I ask is I, I have a, I run one of the biggest communities, one of the biggest groups on Facebook, not the biggest, but one of the biggest for helicopters. And oh. we'd love to have you as a member there. Okay. Well, maybe it's worth signing back on to for then. What, uh, yeah. it, do you have a, like, is there, I'm not even sure, is there an address <laughs> uh, or, or if you want, it's, you can. It's just, called the RC you, Heli. Okay, cool. Sorry. Yeah, I'll, I'll email you the information. Oh, okay. Fair. You'll get, you'll get, you get all the, the helicopter content you ever want there. <laughs> awesome. And all the drama Sounds as well. <laughs> <laughs> you get both. Yeah, you, you don't get to choose. You get both. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't get to choose. You, one comes with the other. John, if it makes you feel any better, I am a staunch anti-Facebook advocate, and um, I actually have an account now just so I can be a part of the group. Oh, okay. Well, that. Uh, that's a good testimonial. <laughs> I will, uh, yeah, let me know about that for sure. We'll do, we'll do. Okay. Okay, well, so I think it's time for my favorite planet and your favorite planet, collective planet. And everyone's favorite planet, of course, the collective planet. Javier, take it away. What's been going on? Alrighty, here? so uh, we'll uh, quickly run down through, um, there, we don't have much news, but uh, we'll quickly run down through uh, our shout out to our podcast brothers. So we have a Freefall RC. Uh, they did an interview with uh, Random Ray, uh, as they call him, and I, I forgot his last name, his actual real last name, but he's the one that started uh, Random Heli and now Random RC, which is famously known for these kit clamps. So that was that was a pretty good episode, as usual, uh, from the Freefall RC guys. Um, definitely worth a listen. Uh, the next one is Heli Heads. They had an interview with uh, Gregor McGrath. And uh, that that was pretty, I would say, enlightening for me personally. You know, being a relatively newcomer in the hobby, I I, I completely, I, you know, you you know about the Alan Sables and about the Cal Stasis and the Cal Dolls. But, you know, Gregor McGrath uh, also was a pretty big deal back in the day uh, with A-Main Hobbies. He did, he, he did these... Um, tour 
with the A main trailer uh, around the US, basically hitting like a bunch of clubs. And he was also, you know, like big into a lot of videos, helping out people with different different tech tips and helping a lot A main and being one of the main people there at that point in time. And I didn't, I, you know, I, I completely didn't know about that. I knew about him just because he's Team USA, um, SAB Team USA. So uh, I knew about, I just thought he was just one, one heck of a pilot, you know, uh, from Team SAB USA. But it so happens that he's kind of like, a, you know, a figure in the hobby. So that was pretty good. I really enjoyed that, uh, that interview. I don't know if any of you guys have listened to, the, to that. I haven't listened to, I haven't listened to it yet now. I got to catch okay. up on my podcast. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Listen to that one. That that was a pretty good one. BK Podcast, as uh, as you said, Frank, they just released one today, talking about uh, talking about the FAA, which we have covered a little bit earlier today. And uh, Bobby Watts also released his uh, well, his part two. He was invited into um, into uh, uh, as an as a guest into another podcast, and uh, it was pretty amazing. Uh, he said, "You know, look it up on 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 Apple on on, on Apple uh, you know the Apple Podcast um, app, and uh, if you type drone, it's the very first result. That was pretty impressive. <laughs> that that was one heck of a popular podcast for sure. To be the very first hit if you if you put drone on on that podcast search. Um, so he's uh, that was that was a pretty good way to you know get this out and uh, you know heard by a lot of people. All of these." Uh, FAA stuff, which we, you know, uh, as I said, we've covered a little bit earlier today and we've covered on several episodes as well, which brings me to our usual plug of make sure that you put in a comment on the on the FAA website. And uh, John, I know that even, even if you are, uh, you know, up there in Canada, it would help just to put in a comment. All you need to do, you, you just need to put in, you know, basically your name and a comment. It doesn't need to be, you know, uh, of biblical proportions, just could be like two, three lines just of uh, people helping us out to put the word out. Hopefully that'll that'll make a difference. It's available on modernaircraft.org. Uh, you do not need to be an AMA member or anything. Heck, you don't even need to be on the hobby at all. You just need because it's a government website. So you just need to go in, plug in your comment, put in your name, and uh, that'll be great help. Awesome. Done. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So to anyone listening, as Paul had said before, make sure that you tell your friends, tell anyone that, that can help us out because uh, on the BK podcast, they said that we're about the 17,000 mark of comments with, uh, with an AMA membership of 200,000. So we're still pretty darn short um, of, uh, of where we would like to be. So make sure that if you have already made a comment, maybe you can make another comment from a different aspect of it. Like, uh, you know, I put in why um, my first comment was, you know, a copy paste from what the uh, AMA suggests. The uh, second one was uh, indeed biblical proportions. I figured out that there's actually a limit of characters of what you can put in there. And I was like four characters short of that limit. The uh, I plan to make another one, not as long, uh, but, uh, you know, from another aspect, I think that, you know, more like the per- my personal experience of, you know, why I love this hobby. You know, my previous post was, uh, you know, uh, all, all that I think is wrong, you know, with lumping us up with the drones and the negative impact of the economy of, of the, of the, of the community. And, uh, you know, uh, those, those, that kind of uh, point of view, but I think that it's also good to put another comment worth it of, you know, what's my personal experience within, 
within the hobby. So, um, so the more the, the more the merrier. Uh, so, um, if you haven't yet put out your comment, anyone who's listening who's on the hobby, for sure, please go in and put it put one in. And uh, so basically, that's a relatively short Collective Planet uh, segment, but for sure, uh, pretty worthwhile uh, shout out to our uh, podcast friends. Of course, Telerotor has not released an episode. Uh, you know, they, they have a longer release episode time frame. And um, in that, Inverted Down Under are the guys that uh, after their first two episode, uh, episodes haven't heard anything back. So hopefully they will be back on the air soon. And that's about it. Yeah, I got a chance to listen to the to those over the weekend, and um, I enjoyed them. It's cool to see a different perspective, a, uh, a perspective that's not American in these uh, in yes. these podcasts. Yes, so it's hopefully they will be back with another episode yeah. soon. Yeah, me too, for sure. That was that was that was awesome. It's always great to hear from different parts. So yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. Okay. Well, we're uh, we're at the two hour mark here, so I think we'll wrap things up. Um, Instead of in, in lieu of giving out personal information for contacting us, if anyone wants to get a hold of um, Javier, Frank, or myself, the easiest way to do so would be through the skidsup.podcast at gmail uh, email address. And um, John, if people are interested in reaching out to you or learning more about your um, your ebook offerings or anything, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, through my website, so www.rchelicopterfund.com. Uh, you can also find me on YouTube. Just search for RC Helicopter Fun or John Salt. Okay. Well, John, again, thank you so much for um, spending two hours of your time hanging out with us. We have really oh, it appreciated it. It's been, it's been a wonderful talk, and uh, I've greatly enjoyed it, and I know all of us have. Um, well, enjoyed as well. So thanks again, guys. We uh, really appreciate it. All right, and that'll do it for us tonight. Um, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time. See ya. Later, guys. Later. <laughs>